Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, uh, it's good to be with everybody today. We are continuing in a series that we're actually, I guess, kind of in the middle of. Uh, Pastor James and I are thinking about maybe adding one. Uh, we'll see We'll see how that goes. Um, but we're in the middle of a series, and we've been examining some of life's biggest questions. We've been, uh, and we'll talk about questions like, am I loved? That was last week with Pastor James. Today, we'll be talking about, why do I hurt? In the series, we'll talk about, does my life have meaning? Why can't we just get along? Is there any hope for this world? And what we're going to do hopefully you've noticed a pattern even so far, is that we are looking at how several prominent, sort of more popular, more pervasive worldviews answer that question. And today, like I said, we're going to be looking at the question of why, why do I hurt? Why is there so much pain in existence, in life, uh, in the human condition, as, as it were? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. But before we start, I want to point out just, just one thing. It's a very small thing. It's a very important thing, I think, and it's a question, and you're going to see it coming up on the screen. Um, listen to it because I'm going to ask you to respond. When we ask the question, why do I hurt? Do we believe that it's a meaningful question? In other words, do we believe that it is an important question that is worthy of serious thought and a truthful answer? I'm asking you this morning. Is it? Well, how do how do you how do you respond to that? Yes or no? You you let me hear you. Yes, okay, thank you. Do we need to do jumping jacks or something before we before we get going? Um so I, I'm asking you, and I wanted to hear back from you, and, and hopefully you uh, listening by streaming or watching by streaming or playing it back on YouTube or whatever can answer that question yourself in the affirmative. It is a meaningful question. Why do I hurt? And listen, if you've ever hurt in your body, in your soul, in your relationships, in life, you know that it's a meaningful question, don't you? If you've ever felt real pain, you know that it's a meaningful question. And because that's true, because it is a meaningful question, I hope you'll lean in with me today and explore what I believe is the truthful answer to the question of why do I hurt? We're going to talk about what can I do about it. Uh, So notice I said we need a real answer to this question. Why do we need a real answer to the question of why do I hurt? Because our hurt is real, isn't it? Our hurt is real. As C.S. Lewis says, our pain insists on being attended to. It really does. Um, So with so much suffering in life, there's really no shortage of ideas, and I would say false ideas, what our MC uh, material calls, calls uh, idea viruses that promise to solve the problem of our pain. Now, specifically from the five worldviews that we're going to be talking through during this series, today we're going to hold up the idea of new spirituality uh, as compared to the gospel in answering the question, why do I hurt? And I think it's very appropriate for us to look at this particular 
uh, worldview of new spirituality today because it's the, apparently the number one worldview of people around us, especially here in the New Age hamlet of Asheville. It's the number one worldview that people look to for answers to the questions about life's pain. So before we look at the way new spirituality seeks to answer that question, let's look at new spirituality itself. We need to define what we're talking about. What do I mean when I say new spirituality? I think this definition hits it pretty well. New spirituality says that the core of reality is a higher consciousness, energy, force, the universe, that some people call God, and recommends practices that seek to help people experience oneness or unity with it. So get that in your mind. That's new spirituality. Whereas Christianity says there's a creator God, and we need to be reconciled and in proper relationship with him, new spirituality says that um, the universe and us and, and all these things are actually all the same thing, and so we're actually all sort of part of God if, if God is what you choose to call that thing. Now, this is an exceedingly important distinction between the two. It's very important, uh, so let's make it as clear as we can. Let's boil things down to the bare bones, simplest form I can. When you think about it, there are really only three views of God, basically. There's nuance here that's important, but basically, only three views of God. There's God overall. That's theism, right? Christianity is part of that. There's God is all. That's pantheism. There's no God at all. That's atheism. New spirituality operates on the basic premise of that second thing. Pan means all. Theism means God. God is all. That is pantheism. That's basically that uh, idea that oper- that uh, new spirituality operates on. It's that everything is God. God is an energy or a force that makes up all things. The universe is God, and you are part of it or her or the one or, or you, whatever you choose to call that thing. Now, if that sounds like... Um, Eastern-type religions like Buddhism and Hinduism, Hinduism to you, you're, you're onto something. You're correct because new spirituality, sort of the Asheville religion, is a westernized and um, repackaged version of these religions of Hinduism and Buddhism and other Eastern religions. Now, Reach Life Church. If you think that's only kind of an issue out there, outside of these walls and that sort of thing, Research from 2017 showed that 61% of professing Christians also held to some key tenets of new spirituality. Hear that again. 61% of Christians who profess that God is overall, there's a creator God and then there's everything else, also held on to key components of the worldview that says God is all. Even Christians, we can hold logically incompatible ideas in our head at the same time. It's a wonder they don't explode. It's amazing. We don't often live, uh, we often don't live consistently with our worldview. That's one of the reasons that we're doing this series. And you'll, you'll see later um, that it's not just Christians, other people don't live consistently with their worldview either. So the reason that's a problem specifically for our discussion today about the problem of pain, hear me, is because the answer that new spirituality 
This thing that 61% of Christians incorporate into their Christianity and is the pervasive view of the culture around us. And most people that we know probably adhere to this even more than most Christians. The answer that it gives to the problem of our pain is a false answer. It's a false answer, and it's a dangerous answer because I would say new spirituality, if lived consistently, underline that in your mind, if lived consistently, actually in trying to answer the problem of our pain doesn't decrease our pain or or deal with it adequately. It actually increases our pain. That's why I say it's a dangerous idea. It's a false and dangerous idea. I'm, I'm here to tell you personally, I've been down that road. I, I used to be part of this Asheville kind of new spirituality kind of stuff. I thought, yeah, God's probably there, and I'm, I'm probably part of God, and you know, it's not, God's not what I was taught growing up. That was actually false, and I believe that I'm actually part of God. And, and I turned to those things thinking that they would somehow answer the question of the problem of my pain. I had uh, teen angst, as it were, right? And as I got into my late teens and early 20s, I went down this rabbit hole. And it was some of the darkest times of my life. So I'm not just speaking about something academically. I'm speaking from my heart as well. I lived this, and it leads to despair. It increases our despair. If you want to hear more about that, Kelly and I gave a talk here um, called Grace Along a Crooked Path, where both of us shared our stories Um, her journey out of atheism and my journey sort of out of new spirituality. Um, And that's on our YouTube channel, uh, the the church's YouTube channel as well. So now, to its credit, I know we're doing a lot of intro here, but it's important. To its credit, new new spirituality uh, actually does seek to answer the hard question about pain. It really does. In fact, these um, Eastern religions of Hinduism and Buddhism and others have the problem of pain as one of their foundational components. It's the reason they are trying to think through this. And, and that's, I applaud that. That's a good thing. That, that's a noble goal to try to answer the question of life's pain. It's, it's what led me to those religions uh, myself, seeking to answer that. So that, that's a, that's a, a, a worthy goal. Um, now, that being said, Both these old, these old Eastern religions and this new spirituality offer sort of the same explanation and solution for our pain. And I want you to follow closely with me here. Since everything that exists is one thing, right, on, on new spirituality, God, the energy, Gaia, the universe, we experience pain then if we're out of harmony or sync with that one thing. That's the view. If we're out of harmony with the universe, then we will experience pain in our lives. And since new spirituality sees us as kind of part of God, then on that view, disharmony with ourselves is what leads us to pain. Now, that may sound familiar to you. You may have heard things like, look within to find your answers. Be your own guide. Find inner peace with your true self which they would say is God. This is kind of the mantra of our world today. It's in like advertisement for French fries and stuff. It's crazy. Um, 
So follow the breadcrumbs here a little further. Since new spirituality says that all is God, then pain and suffering are actually just an illusion. So if you do the right self-talk, if you broaden your perspective, if you see your own divinity, then supposedly the illusion of your pain will disappear. Buddhism and, in fact, new, new spirituality as well, would teach that it's your emotional attachment to others and to other things, even the emotional attachment to your own self and your own existence is what's weighing you down and causing you pain. So whether it's attachment to your own body or attachment to your family or your significant other, any attachment to any particular thing is an illusion because it's ultimately the idea of individual things that's an illusion. So Buddhism and new spirituality would say, hey, realize this, convince yourself of this, that those things aren't real. That your pain's not real. Become detached from them. They would say, you know, your body isn't real. Become detached from it. Your emotions aren't real. Become detached from them. Your friends are an illusion. Detach from them. Your family is an illusion. Detach from them. And since these things are the cause of your pain, your pain isn't real. Detach from it. And your pain will vanish. But think with me. Does that actually describe reality? Is it really how things are? Can you really live that way? Well, the clear answer, if we're going to be honest, is an emphatic no. You cannot live that way. Here's a clear reason why. Walk with me for a minute. A key to determining whether something is actually true, whether it really reflects reality, is whether you can live it or not. Can you actually live that thing out in a consistent way? So let's look at what it would look like to actually live out new spirituality if we're going to do so in a consistent way. Since everything is God, then evil doesn't really exist, and neither does good for that matter. Good and bad are just yin and yang, and we put labels on them based on our preferences. In that case, cruelty is the same as non-cruelty, isn't it? Love is no better or no worse than hate. Causing another person to feel hated then is neither good nor bad. Causing someone pain is neither good nor bad. Your pain is neither good nor bad. But again, I ask, is that true? Is that how things really are? Of course not. Of course not. Loving one another, can we, can we all agree, loving one another is indeed better than hating one another? Yes. That's how life is. That, that's true to reality. That's true to the cry of our heart even, isn't it? I'm glad we agree, by the way. Thank you for agreeing that loving one another is better than hating one another. Now, oddly, many people who embrace new spirituality are often people who talk about loving one another the most. And that's a great thing. I'm glad that they talk about loving one, one another, and that's a priority, a priority to them. But here, I want you to hear me. When they do that, when they seek to love one another and 
uh, help one another, they're not being consistent with what they profess to believe because what they should believe, if they really believe that God is the universe and I'm the universe and it's just energy and we're all the same thing, if they really believe that, what they should say, if they're going to be consistent, is that love and hate are morally equal. They're neutral. In fact, we put false arbitrary labels on things called love and hate. But thankfully, they don't live that way. Even people who follow new spirituality do not live that way because we can't. That's not God's world. That's not how things are made, and you cannot live it out. Again, as we've been discussing in our MCs, most people don't actually live consistently with their worldview. When people who embrace new spirituality or secularism or the other false worldviews in our study, for that matter, when they do things like love their neighbor, fight for justice, seek to alleviate pain and suffering, what they're doing is borrowing from the Christian worldview that says God is really there. And human beings are really made in the image of God. We are his representatives on the earth, and therefore we have intrinsic value, and therefore we should love one another. It's better than hating one another. They're borrowing from that worldview because it's in their heart by God and living that worldview out and being inconsistent with new spirituality. It's the Judeo-Christian worldview that says evil is really evil and good is really good because God's really there. He's really made us to be his representative. So no one can actually live as though pain and suffering are an illusion. You cannot live it out because it's, it's not true. And trying to live in a world with a worldview that's false about the world and even false about your own pain actually increases your pain. There's a dissonance. There's a brokenness in your heart because you're not living in unity truly with how things really are. So let me just pause here and ask, why not turn to Jesus? I'll just ask the question. Why not turn to Jesus and take on his view of, the, of reality because he made reality and therefore life makes a whole lot more sense when you're following how things really are and how they're really designed to be. I just want to stop here and say, why not turn to Jesus? Why not have things actually make sense? Why not be able to live things out in a consistent, holistic way according to how God has designed things. You know, as we've been saying in our study, um, in our own minds and in the sort of the society around us, there's a secret battle going on, particularly here today, about what suffering means and what can be done about it. New spirituality is sadly actually on the increase in its influence in our thinking about this issue of pain and all kinds of other things that follow. You, You guys may remember... Um, some of you may remember, several months back, maybe a year or so ago, maybe, um, I did a, um, a message here called Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and Jesus Walk Into a Bar. You can look that one up too. Uh, but, but on uh, the screen, I had a tree, and it's called a worldview tree, and at the roots of it were, were theology and philosophy, what we believe about God and reality, And then we show that other things follow from that. If God is really there, this is what we think about humans. 
This is our psychology and our biology. If this is what we think about humans, then this is how we think about society. If this is what we think about society, this is how we should legislate laws, right? These things follow from the ground up. And what I'm, what I'm trying to show you is that this idea of new spirituality is influencing all sorts of things, including how we deal with our pain. So, how do we deal with our pain? What's the truth about our pain? Here's the great news, and it's, this is super important to understand. This is going to be on the screen. The Christian worldview does not whitewash, ignore, deny, or put a smiling face on suffering. The Bible stares suffering right in the face and speaks directly to the issue. It really does. We don't sweep things under the rug. There's an, an entire book of Job in the Bible that records the story of a godly man who took pain after pain. If you've ever read it, man, you, it's unimaginable. It's unimaginable. There is an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations. A lament is an expression of sorrow. There's a whole book about it. There are lamentations throughout the book of Psalms, and I want us to pause and read one to see how real the Bible is It's in Psalm 88, if you want to turn there, it's going to also be on the screen. This will take a minute uh, to read through the psalm, but I think it will help us understand that the Bible really does get down in the dirt with our pain. Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer Come before you, incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol, that's the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Ever felt that way? Bible's real, man. Jesus himself is called the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Yet Jesus 
boldly declared, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I, Jesus, have overcome the world. That word overcome in that verse in the original language doesn't mean just winning. It means outlasting the enemy and depriving him of power to harm. Jesus confronted suffering on the battlefield and disarmed it. You know, some people look into Christianity kind of from the outside, and they yell, well, well, well then why doesn't God do anything about pain and suffering? Man, if people accuse God of sitting back and doing nothing about pain and suffering, they are missing the whole point being made by Christianity. In reality, God has already done everything you would ever want a loving God to do about our pain, and a lot more. Uh, We have to keep in mind that our pain, our suffering in this world is due to the fallenness of this world. There's something in our heart that recognizes things are broken, Don't we recognize that? Don't we look around and say, it ought not to be this way? We're right. It's broken. God made a very good world, and he gave us very good freedom, a freedom which we abused and used to reject God. So now we live in a world that reflects that rejection of God, and we suffer, and there's pain in this world. But the Bible tells us God the Son became a man. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And he endured both suffering and pain and a horrible death on our behalf. Mankind's sin of rebellion left us in a terrible state. We're still seeing the repercussions. I think they're multiplying. Even though our bodies die, we are made in the image of God. Our souls are built to last forever into the future. Our conscious being is going to live forever into the future. And unless God intervened, mankind's rebellion would have meant that that forever existence would have been without God. But God did intervene. God did do something about our pain. God did do something when we could do nothing. God did everything it took to reconcile us to himself. The amazing truth, the true truth, is that Jesus indeed paid for our rebellion. He offers us to be with God forever. Don't let that slip past your thinking. Pause and consider you can be with God right now walking in this life. He can be with you in your pain, and you can live forever with him That's life as it's truly meant to be. It's like living life in a world that was pre-fallen. As though things had never fallen, it will be made new, Jesus says. It will be made new. In fact, this is what you and I were made for. We were made for that. The joy that awaits those who have placed their lives in the hands of Jesus is unimaginable. Unimaginable. And maybe those of us who have experienced the most pain in this life here on this terrestrial ball, as they call it, can appreciate the joy that awaits the most. Think about the Apostle Paul. This is a man who was imprisoned multiple times, chained in stocks, tortured, beaten with reeds, deserted by his closest friends, stoned multiple times and left left for dead. Why don't you look on the screen what the Apostle Paul says 
about what we're talking about. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Here's what Paul, this, this guy we just read about, says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, pause. Now, I just said he had been shipwrecked, beaten with reeds, stoned multiple times, tortured, deserted by his closest friends, left for dead. Paul says this light, momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He says, man, he suffered, okay, right? He qualifies as someone who has suffered. He said that suffering's not even worthy to be compared to the joy that awaits for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's keep, keep reading. Weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. They're going to pass away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. You know, these uh, idea viruses, as our curriculum calls it, these false worldviews, seek to convince us that our suffering is pointless and devoid of meaning. But knowing the truth about God and the truth about ourselves changes the whole story arc of our suffering, truly, truly changes it. Jesus is the answer for the dilemma of evil and suffering in this world. Jesus is the answer for our own heart's cry of, why do I hurt? He is our hope in suffering, and because of him, our pain has meaning. So on a real practical level then, what can we do in the midst of our pain? That's the next question. Okay, I get it. I get the the, the proper perspective. Now what? Well, I'm just going to unpack some gospel-centered approaches to living in view of our pain. Here's the first thing you can do. Dwell on God's presence. We're just saying before we started, there's somebody else with us in the fire. He is the man of sorrow acquainted with grief. Jesus, God the Son himself, is with us via the Holy Spirit every step of our lives. And constantly remembering that he is with us puts our suffering into perspective. The next thing you can do is serve. Bear one another's burdens. You know, we often find relief or perspective or appreciation, real meaningful things like that when we help another person who's dealing with their pain. Even if we are currently in pain while we're trying to help them, how many of you can testify and say that's true? Absolutely. Absolutely true. The next thing you can do is reject fate. Christianity doesn't allow us to quit. There's hope when it seems hopeless. You know, it's our, our circumstances are not the master of our destiny. Jesus is the master of our destiny. There's not even weight on you to be the master of your own destiny, as new spirituality would have you say. No, no, no. Jesus is the master of of our destiny. And because of that, we can have real, deep, inexplicable joy, even in the midst of the worst times. Jesus doesn't promise to remove us from pain. He promises to be in, a, uh, in it, the, in the pain with us and change us through the pain. C.S. Lewis refers to pain as graduate school, 
right? That's where the best lessons are learned, and some lessons can only be learned there. I've seen it to be true in my own life. I have grown more in suffering in my walk with the Lord as a human being, as a husband, than I ever would have without the suffering. And those of you who know my journey know I know what suffering is. And I'm telling you, Jesus is with me in it. And I'm telling you, Jesus is changing me through it. That suffering, this is sound funny, that suffering is God's grace to me. Because I'm hard-headed. I'm stiff-necked. Anybody else? I listen a lot better when there's a little bit, a little bit of pain. He doesn't want me to hurt, but he wants me to be holy. So not only is he preparing a place for us that we read about, he's preparing us for that place as well. There's beauty. Our pain has meaning. I'm telling you guys, it has meaning. It has meaning. And because of that, because our pain has meaning, and we could look at somebody else in suffering and join them in their suffering and make a real difference in other people's lives, even in our pain. The last thing, uh, maybe there's one more. Let me see. I don't know. Four, did I do four or five? I did five. Uh, another thing that you could do is accept the love of other people. Anybody have, besides me have a hard time being served? Like you like to help other people. My wife's like, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you like to help other people, but you have a hard time help, accepting help? The body of Christ functions best when we faithfully play our, our parts in this tapestry that God has woven called the church. And we allow people to love us. If somebody uh, offers help, accept it. If somebody needs help, give it. The last thing I'll list is that you can look forward to a better day. You can look forward to a better day. Like I said, the reality is that the world is a fallen place. We are fallen creatures in a fallen world. That means pain will be present. And it's not a variable. We all will experience it different levels at different times, and sometimes everything comes at once. Um, it's a constant. The variable is how we choose to live those days. It's not like something Gandalf would say, but it's true. Thank you, Lord of the Rings fans, for, for catching my joke. Uh, Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Part of that wisdom is remembering, again, what the Spirit spoke to us through the words of the Apostle Paul earlier. We do not lose hope. Why? Because my hope is not in my circumstance. My hope is not, you know, if I can just get healing from my brain damage, from my brain injury, or if I can just get healing from my neurological problems in my body, then I'll I'll have hope. That's not what my hope is in. I know Jesus is going to make all this new eventually anyway. The reason I know that is because Jesus said he would raise from the dead, and he did. So when he says he will raise this old body from the dead, he will. So I know that's coming. But my hope's not in that. My hope is in Jesus himself. It's in a person. Not an event. Not in a feeling. It's in the person of Jesus. And guess what? He's with me. And nobody can can snatch me out of his hand. That's where my hope is. And I hope that's where your hope is will be as well. And, and I would say that those of us who are most looking forward to Jesus making this world new are the people who can have the most joy and strength and clarity to make a difference in the world right now, even in its fallen state. I believe that we 
can do that. Christianity is a worldview of action, even in the midst of, of suffering. In fact, I would say compelled by our suffering. We can look out and see other people who are suffering. So you know what? Come with me. We're walking together. Are you you're hurting too? Okay, now there's three of us. You're hurting too? Now there's, well, we got a church. Let's go. We can do this because Jesus is Jesus and we're his. That's how we can, we can walk through. Uh, the late theologian and philosopher, my homeboy Francis Schaeffer, might put it this way, that our, our pain is not a pain unto death. It's pain unto life. This leads to life. I hope you guys know this. This leads to life. Jesus what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us, literally the excruciating, you know, guys know the word excruciating means born out of the cross. It's where we get the word. The excruciating pain of God in the flesh is the centerpiece of human history, and it's the centerpiece of the Christian life. Jesus has overcome sin and pain and suffering and death forever, and because he has won the victory, we can live confidently in the truth, knowing that our pain matters, and Jesus will be victorious over our pain. In fact, Jesus intimately understands our pain. He is with us in our pain, and Jesus will bring beauty from the ashes of the pain in our lives. And one day, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He has not only defeated the cause of our pain, we will be quarantined from pain forever. Let's read about it. It's coming up on the screen, Revelation 21, 1 to 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of, water, spring of the water of life without payment. Why without payment? Because he already paid it. Man, what a Savior we have. What a message for us. What a message for this world. I pray that we will all turn to Jesus today, either for the first time or afresh. Man, how much we need him. I'm going to pray for us, and then Pastor James is going to lead us in the Lord's Supper.